connect, engage, change. This is 702. This is 702. For the curious. 19 minutes past nine, as I said, on the line, joining me on the line, of course, is Brooke Spector, uh, associate editor at the Daily Maverick, as well as a former diplomat himself. Uh, Brooks, how are you doing, mate? It's great chatting to you again. Good evening, Gershwell. One of these days, you're going to call me and we're going to talk about something that's happy and cheerful and fun. <laughs> Brooks, that only happens when you and I meet each other and, and we, we, we get to talk about whatever makes us happy in private. Uh, remember the last time you and I chatted actually about uh, William Shatner? And I, I, I didn't actually, I, I managed to see him on stage, but from a, very, from a distance, from about a mile away. That's about the happiest conversations that you and I have <laughs> with, with a tinge of tragedy because neither one of us had access to him, uh, you know, direct access to him. That's a shame. I mean, he's, he's an old guy, but he's still spry. No, oh, no, he's awesome. He's actually awesome. Um, he's, he's, he's uh, you know, he, he looks awake, he's ready, and he's bubbly, and he loves his country and all of those things. But back to more tragic things and more difficult things to deal with, and that is, of course, COVID-19. Um, about two, three weeks ago, if you and I had this conversation, China would have been top, uh, topping the charts along with Italy. Um, and as it stands right now, uh, the United States of America has 330,000 uh, cases of uh, COVID-19. Spain stands at 130,000. That's the second highest. Italy at 128,000. And then obviously followed by Germany and then France. China uh, comes in at seventh place with 81,000 cases. Uh, the country where this, this uh, COVID-19 had obviously originated from. Um, which, you know, is, is, is quite sad. But I mean, if I listen to um, Donald Trump, unfortunately, at this stage, um, to be quite frank, it sounds like he's not taking this very seriously. He's been giving mixed messages. He's been talking quite a lot of nonsense, actually, in the last couple of days. Well, if you watch this over the weekend, he finally made something of a zigzaggy, bizarre U-turn. Uh, I mean, he, it, was, it was a little perverse, uh, or a lot perverse, maybe. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Uh, he he accepted the advice that he was getting from public health officials and physicians and immunologists and almost anybody else uh, that even with uh, proper care and precautions and uh, full uh, medical support, we could be looking at 100,000 plus, plus, plus uh, fatalities out of this. And if we wow. didn't... If we didn't have all that coming to the party, uh, there was a possibility, at least, of adding another zero, another you know, another order of magnitude onto that, which would be quite extraordinary. Uh, because one of the things that you start measuring, in my mind at least, you start measuring this particular pandemic against wars, real wars, and the number of casual uh, fatalities in World War II for the United States, for example, is somewhere in the neighborhood of a half million uh, pers- military personnel. Uh, mm. And that was over a period from, roughly speaking, 1940, before the actual declaration of war, but there was action in the Atlantic Ocean. So from there to the end of the war in August 1945, so that's six years. Uh, this is a run of, what, three months, three and a half months now? Uh, and we're looking at a growing uh, number. The pace 
continues to grow. That flatten the curve idea has not yet flattened, um, which means that the, the number of new cases continues to rise, perhaps not exponentially yet, but uh, continues to grow. One footnote about the Chinese numbers, though, there is there is a body of opinion that says mm. the, chi- the Chinese numbers are not accurate, that there were more people who died, and one of two possibilities. Either they don't actually know and didn't actually record it carefully, perhaps because many of the early casualties were listed as uh, death by pneumonia or respiratory mm-hmm. failure or whatever, or that that more sinisterly that somebody is covering tracks, not necessarily the very peak of the government, but on down the line, there's a, there's a bit of like, oh dear, what have we done? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, in a sense, it doesn't matter. Uh, there are a lot of people who are suffering. There are a lot of people who are dying. There are more people who are yet going to suffer and still more people who are going to die. And that, of course, brings us to the question I know you're itching to talk about, and that's the equipment that is needed to keep people alive. alive. Yeah, because from what I understand, I mean, now that you've gone straight to that one, which is uh, uh, arguably the meat of of our conversation as well, is the fact that uh, we understand that there's going to be a clampdown on exports of those very essential bits of equipment, things like masks, things like uh, protective gear, ultimately from the U.S. I mean, from my perspective, it makes sense when you have 330,000 cases in the U.S. when you have to consider uh, building a field hospital in the middle of Central Park to deal with the issue in New York alone. Um, but ultimately, it, it, it does not spell doom per se for the rest of the world, uh, but it is definitely of serious concern because ultimately um, we know that in South Africa, as an example, there is a shortage of this very same uh, protective gear and that um, people have resorted to asking for things that is usually used in mining uh, ultimately to to try to uh, protect people, and I mean that for me is 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 quite quite concerning. You know, there are, well, there are, there are a couple of major components to the equipment, and therefore the equipment shortage. The one is the masks, uh, which you alluded to, um, that keep uh, keep that either keep people from spreading if they're infected, or to keep people who are medical personnel from gaining access to the uh, infection, not because they want to, but because it happens. Uh, So that's one category. The second category are those uh, various bits of personal protective equipment, the clear plastic face shields and those hazmat suits uh, and obviously the surgical gowns and the the shoe slippers and Mm. the the blue latex uh, gloves of which we have a box at our door too, just just, just to make a point of it, um, and a mask in the car, just in case. Um, and then, of course, there are the uh, the ventilators, mm, um, mm. W- which you know most of us don't usually run into ventilators very often. No, for sure. Um, unless we're in the hospital for acute respiratory failure, and this is the gizmo that keeps pumping oxygen into your lungs when your lungs and the muscles around them are incapable of doing that kind of action sufficient to get oxygen into your lungs. Mm. Now, the the problem is there are a lot of them in the U.S., but they're not there in the epic quantities um, that apparently are are either needed now or are shortly going to be. 
And there's the final category of things, which is the testing equipment to find out whether or not you are a carrier with symptoms and a non-symptomatic carrier Mm. or the, the newest version of things. Have you had it? You didn't know it, but you built up antibodies in your bloodstream uh, sufficient to deal with future uh, uh, viral invaders, shall we say. Now, all this stuff, uh, from the simple, the mundane, uh, through to the high-tech version, the ventilators, all of it's in scarce supply. And uh, as Governor Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo of New York State, has been saying on the in his press conferences, which have become what must see events, um, that this is this is madness that each of the American states is busy trying to outbid the other mm, on mm. eBay on eBay for this equipment, believe Seriously. it or not, and that they are in the same time competing with other countries and with the federal government. He says this is the kind of madness that we have now found ourselves in, and that goes to the heart of the problem. There isn't enough stuff yet, uh, and there will be at some point, uh, but where that line crosses with the number of people who need it, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I hear you on that, Brooks. And I mean, it's it's obviously it is a situation of this is what's needed here at home right now for uh, those particular American states that they need uh, that equipment and they need it for themselves. They need it for uh, the very people. Um, that you know the, for their very own citizens, and that is why these exports have ended. But I mean, ultimately, what does that mean for for the rest of the world? Obviously, South Africa has um, uh, you know I think that we're probably in that middle category of countries with one thousand five hundred and eighty five uh, confirmed cases, nine deaths, uh, forty five recovered. Uh, you know, we we sort of fall into that middle band with in in terms of countries. We're not the worst, and we're also not doing the best at it. But at the very same time, it does raise certain concerns. Concerns around what happens when we do have a bit of a tragedy in our, on our sides, and uh, we find that uh, there's there's mass proliferation of this particular illness. I mean, what does that mean when the U.S. Uh, decides to stop these particular exports? Well, that's that's going to be a really nasty, terrible, brutal moment. Now, isn't it? Uh, the good news, if there is any of it, is that uh, Governor Cuomo, for example, is saying that once we get past our peak and the curve begins to either decline or flatten or, you know, whatever curves want to do, mm. um, then it becomes incumbent on us, speaking of New York State, to begin to supply other states that are going to be the next in line for the great rise in number. And you can expand that to say that that means that nations are going to have to start sharing more of this equipment and more of the supplies and they're going to have to build up stocks of it. And one of the one of the, the, the sad moments was to discover the federal stockpile in the U.S. of ventilators. It turns out that a, a fair number of them hadn't been maintained properly in storage, and they don't work. Mm. No, yeah, when it, uh, when it rains, it pours clearly in this instance. I mean, just as a final question for you, just a, a little bit of analysis from your side there. We know that for the longest possible time, one... Uh, Donald Trump has been very much dismissive of this issue uh, from the beginning, referring to it as the Chinese virus. This Chinese virus wasn't necessarily a concern for him. Eventually, what ended up happening was that um, he started telling the world that he saw this as being a pandemic before it was recognized as being a pandemic. 
And then, you know, he started sort of throwing out all kinds of crazy diatribe. Uh, today we are in this situation where the U.S. is obviously the country with the leading number of, of uh, cases uh, in the world. And clearly the number of fatalities are rising. And it's worrisome when you see um, that um, they, they're reporting that uh, Central Park would be used as a field hospital at one point or the other. Some might argue that the U.S. is one of the most populous nations in the world, and that's why there's such a large number of people infected. Other people would say that uh, Donald Trump had all the opportunity in the world to take the necessary precautions, but he was too arrogant to do anything about it. And now we find ourselves in this situation. I mean, what's your analysis on it? Well, a couple of things. I mean, uh, it is true that the federal government under Donald Trump really wasted uh, the two-month period from the beginning of the year through to um, what mid-March, say, uh, in which lots of things could have been done proactively. Lots of national coordinated efforts could have been made. More uh, planning and processes to share the equipment that there was or to begin to, to get other equipment manufactured. All of that could have happened. It didn't. Uh, and in part because of the hubris of the president you were just describing, that he concluded till basically the past weekend. Um, and that's part of it. The, the, the business of the, of the emergency hospital in Central Park, um, I, curiously, I read that as a good sign, mm. uh, because that, that means that the Army Corps of Engineers and other involved bodies have been able to pull together uh large field hospitals really quickly. Mm. Uh, they took they took a major convention center, something that I believe is rather bigger than the uh, Santon Convention Center, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Jacob Javits Center, and they have either finished turning it or are just about to finish turning it into a major emergency hospital as well. Um, part of the thing is what, when you when you know you have to do that kind of thing, uh, you get innovative and stuff begins to happen. Uh, it's just a great shame that all of this happened in a terribly ad hoc, piecemeal, piece-by-piece process when it could have been much better coordinated. There is, after all, a government agency, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, yeah. the people who are supposed to respond to natural diso- uh, disasters, earthquakes, fires, floods, hurricanes, mm. uh, you know, what, what a, you know, whatever, uh, and they have a standard management method for dealing with this and drawing in the resources from the various parts of the government and, and the private sector and uh, NGOs and not-for-profits and, and you know, ordinary people um, as well. And it was let far too late to bring in FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, to help coordinate this process because that's what they're good at. They train for it, and uh, except when they drop on, they get let down on the job, as we know happened with Hurricane Katrina. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, what was that? What fifteen years ago? Ten years ago? Um, they uh, they generally are really pretty good at this stuff because that's their job. That's what they know how to oh, yeah. do. Yeah. 
Um, Brooks, unfortunately, mate, we'll we'll have to leave it there on 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 that particular thought. And I really do thank you for for putting into perspective, especially the idea around uh, the field hospital and what that actually means, and um, you know how we see ourselves sort of getting out of this particular mess. But I'll have to unfortunately leave it there because of time. Uh, thank you so much, man. It's a pleasure. Anytime, Bershaw. And hopefully one day you and I will have uh, a more uplifting chat <laughs> soon. <laughs> we'll talk about snakes or something like that. <laughs> All the best. <laughs> that was Brooks Factor. He's an associate editor at the Daily Maverick as well as a former U.S. diplomat.